0: Well, again, we are working our way through Ephesians, and we are seeing all that it means to be in Christ as our Savior and Lord, and in chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians, we are seeing what it is to live the Christian life, to walk in a way, as Paul puts it in chapter 4, that is worthy of the gospel and the calling that we have received. And (laughs) Paul, in Ephesians 5, the text that was just read to to us, he gives us instruction about how to live in marriage relationships and in the home. Last week we began this, and you'll notice that as I'm approaching this text, I'm going to the end and working my way backwards. Last week we looked at Christ and his love relationship with the church. The church is his bride. He will hold us fast. He will hold us fast as his eternal everlasting love. Now this week we're moving from Christ, the head of the church, to the husband as the head of the home. And then next week we will look at the place and role and function and indescribable blessing of wives in relationship to their husbands. So today, I'm going to be talking to husbands. Everyone else can eavesdrop. You can do whatever you want. Uh, you can just uh, you can pay attention or just not. You know, go ahead and do whatever you want. Eavesdrop if you'd like. I will say to you right from the start that at the end of the day, there is something here for everyone. At the very least, There is motive and incentive for all of us to pray, specifically to pray for the men among us, that we will be the kind of men to which we have been called in the gospel and in Jesus Christ. If nothing else comes, ladies for you, young people, children for you, if nothing else comes out of this message, please learn to pray. For the men in this congregation and in the church at large. As we look at the text in front of us, it really is important that we begin by taking a look back. Our main focus is going to be on verses 25 and following. But we need to look back at verse 23, where we read, The husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Let's let's start by noticing a little grammar here, noticing that the headship of the husband is an indicative statement, not an imperative. Do you know the difference between the two? An imperative is a command, it's an order. An indicative is a statement of fact. It is a statement that indicates what is. Notice here, it does not say, Husbands, be the head of your wife. Nor does it say, Wives, let your husband be your head. There is an indicative statement telling us what is. The husband is the head of the wife. It really does matter, after all, what the meaning of the word is, is. What does this mean? Well, it means that the headship of a husband is something that is. It is not something that is made to happen by a husband, nor is it something that needs to be acknowledged or allowed to happen by the wife. It just is. Now, you may wonder how that is. How do we know that? Well, the answer could simply be because the Bible says so right here. But in actual fact, this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 where God's intent for the man and the woman is laid out and revealed for us, not in any way suggesting that the man is superior to the wife in character or gifts or ability, but the order of the roles is laid out in the order of creation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the head of the wife is the husband. Why? For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. In other words, Adam came first. In the context of the church, Paul argues in 1st Timothy, two that men are to lead women in the church, not the other way around. Why, Paul, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. God is saying, you know, you know, it's my design for the man to lead because I made him first and I drew Eve. Out of his existence, if you will. In other words, men are to lead because in the order of creation, Adam came first. Now you say, that seemed pretty random. Why would God do it that way? My answer, I don't have a clue. I have no idea. But God is saying to us, let my actions inform your understanding. Let my actions inform your understanding. God is saying, for whatever reasons I have in my own mind, I know that there need to be roles within marriage, just like there are roles within the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All God, one God, equal in essence, equal in glory, equal in existence. Eternal and and unchangeable God. Yet within the Trinity, the Son submits to the Father. The Father has a role of some kind of leadership within the Trinity. And God says, for you to bear my image as man and woman. I want that role. I want that leadership and followership to be manifested in marriage. And so God made Adam first in time to let it be known that he was to be first in responsibility. Adam came before Eve in terms of existence, so Adam could go before Eve in terms of leadership. says a lot to us men right here, okay? Why why are we called to lead? Not because we are superior. Not because we are more competent. Not because we are wiser. Not because we are stronger. It is because God, according to His sovereign plan and purpose, said this is the way it's going to be. When, I, when God chose that Tim Shorey was going to be conceived a male, God was saying that Tim was going to be called to leadership. God determined the role when He determined the gender. What this means for us men is that we are to walk humbly. Not with an air of superiority, not with arrogance, not with pride, not looking down. For our role has been chosen for us. We didn't earn it, we didn't merit it, we didn't ask for it. What does it say to the wife? It says that for reasons known only to our God and our Father This is what it is. And your ability, ladies, to move forward in life with joy and confidence will be directly tied to how confident you are in God, whose will is perfect, whose plan is perfect. God has sovereignly chosen our gender. God has sovereignly chosen our role. We can't change it. Despite what our world is saying today, we may be confused. We may not quite be able to figure out certain impulses or instincts, but God has chosen who we are and are to be. And we need to look to Him for grace to live that out in faith, in courage, in dependence, in confidence that He will give us, in fact that grace. Gentlemen, this indicative says something else to us. It says to us as men, if we are married, or one day are going to be married, it says to us that we are the leaders of our home, even if we are bad ones, even if we are absentee ones, even if we are deadbeat leaders, we cannot avoid the role. You cannot abdicate this, gentlemen. You cannot delegate this. You can't run away from it. You can't abandon it. If you are married, you are the head of your home. And you could, you could flee to the deepest cave in the deepest wilderness on the far, farthest stalk. Stars don't have wildernesses. On the farthest planet, in the farthest galaxy, and you cannot escape the fact that you are the head of your wife. It is what it is. And the neglect of responsibility does not negate the responsibility. A neglect of it doesn't negate it. Gentlemen, One day you and I will give an account to God for how we have led and served as the head of our home. That's all in that one phrase. The husband is the head of the wife. Now, you're saying to me, and I have asked this question many times, all right, what does a a good head look like? What what does a good head of a home, head of a marriage look like? How, how does How is a man to live? How is a husband to live? The short answer to this is this. A head of a home, a good one, looks a whole lot like Jesus. Looks a whole lot like Jesus. Notice what Paul says. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So there is a model for us, and the model for manhood in marriage is the man Christ Jesus. Gentlemen get this, write it down, make it something you you emblazon across everything in every day of your life, the model for manhood in the home is the man Christ Jesus. What Jesus is to the church, the man imperfectly to be sure with many flaws to be sure with many weaknesses and sins to be sure but what Jesus is to the church perfectly the man is to reflect the man is to be to his wife and to his children so let's let's figure that out what does it look like well i've come up with an acronym to help plant seven principles of headship in our hearts. I'm hoping that they take root this way. It's kind of a way to help you remember these. It's going to be seven charges that this text gives to husbands. And it's the word husband, and each letter of husband is going to stand for one of the charges. Okay, so the H is hold fast. What does it mean to be the head of my home? It means that I hold fast to my wife and to my children. Notice verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. We saw this last week. Jesus does this perfectly. There's this covenanted relationship between Jesus and his church. He holds fast to us. He holds us fast to himself. And Paul is saying, this is how a man should love his wife. This is how a man should lead his wife. Marriage is a pledge to fidelity, to endurance. Guys, this isn't just a matter of staying out of divorce court. This is a matter of lifestyle. This is a matter of heart. This is a matter of commitment. It's not good enough just that somehow or other, by hope or by crook, you don't get divorced. No, what, what holding fast means... Is that in an active and emphatic way the man says I am a one woman man and this woman my wife is the woman and the only woman for my life it is it is doing whatever we need to do gentlemen to secure our wives with this certainty that we are here That we are all here, and that we will always be here. Gentlemen, your wives need to know that. We are here. We are all here, and we will always be here. Our hearts are here. Our desires are here. Our dreams are here. Our affections are here. Our time is here. Our commitment is here. Our eyes are here are here. Our bodies are here. We're here. We're all here. We're always here. Gentlemen, we are called to hold fast. Kent Hughes puts a great book, Disciplines of a Godly Man. Gentlemen, I recommend it heartily. He says, men, our wives must be able to rest in the fact of our fidelity. Everything about us, our eyes, our language, our schedules, and our passion." must say to her, I am and will always be faithful to you. Everything about us must say that. Gentlemen, does your every action declare this to your wife? Does your wife know you're here? And you're all here. And you're only here. And you will always be here. Hold fast. Hold fast. If by the grace of God you are already committing to holding fast, then by that grace keep it up. And if you're not, then man up. Man up and hold fast. You stands for unify. Unify. We see the emphasis of the text, verse 31. Paul says, The two shall become one. Flesh in marriage to become one, and and Paul speaks of this in very very significant, very strong ways. Look at verse twenty eight. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. What Paul is saying here is that a husband and wife are in fact one. They are one. It's kind of an indicative again, isn't it? But it is an indicative that needs to be maintained. It needs to be deepened. It needs to be strengthened. Husbands, behold your wife. Look at her. She is you. She is you. She is a member of your body. She's an arm, a heart. she's, She's part of you. And Paul is saying, unify. Be one. Unify through Committing to one another unified by doing all the things that we saw back in chapter four at the end of chapter four. Remember all those teachings about putting away falsehood. How do you unify with your wife? Stop lying to her. How do you unify with your wife? Stop holding grudges. How do you unify? Work hard to provide. Speak only what edifies. Stop yelling and arguing. Be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving, even as God in Christ has been to you. Unify. So the, qu- the question, gentlemen, is, is the quality of your life and love deepening oneness and unity with your wife? If so, by the grace of God, Keep it up. If not, by the grace of God, man up and unify with her. Third, S stands for serve through sacrifice. Serve through sacrifice. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no getting around the fact that Jesus' headship in the church and over the church involves leadership, even authority, and the husband's headship in the home involves leadership. After all, what does a head do except lead? Unless you're old like me. In which case the body refuses often to obey. My brain tells my body. It's happened on basketball court. I used to, I used to play basketball. I could, no, I won't say that. I used to, I used to play basketball all the time, and I got to a point where the ball was an extension of my hand. I could just, I could dribble it anywhere, do just about anything with it. Now I go out and try to bounce a basketball, and it's just not pretty. <laughs> It is—it's an ugly thing to see. The brain knows what to do. The body refuses. The head is trying to lead. The body's resisting. But normally, when things are healthy and working well, the head leads. But what we need to understand, friends, is that biblically, leadership is primarily a matter of service and sacrifice. How am I to lead my wife? Well, how did Jesus lead his church? He loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus saw us in our need. Understand this, brothers and sisters, friends, you even here who are here today who are not yet a believer in Jesus. Understand this. God, before the worlds were made, looked ahead in time and he knew you were going to be alive. He knew He was going to make you. He knew He was going to create you. He also knew you were going to be a sinner. He also knew that you were going to violate His law and be worthy of death and be worthy of eternal death. And God the Son looked ahead, saw your need. And He said to the Father, I will go and I will rescue them. I will go and I will give my life for them. I'll pay the punishment for their sin. I'll pay the debt for their sin. I don't want them to go to hell. I want them to be with me in heaven forever. I want them in my house, not Satan's house. I want them in our family as the Trinity. I want, I want them to be mine. And Jesus said, I'm going. I'm going to find them. And I'm going to rescue them. And if I have to die for them, I'll die for them. If I have to face hell to release them, to redeem them, to free them, I will do that. That's what leadership does. That's what Jesus has done. And, and Paul says to us, Paul says to us, Yes, husbands, you are, you are the head of the wife, but don't, don't misunderstand that. That doesn't mean you're the boss. It doesn't mean you're the tyrant. It doesn't mean you get your way. It doesn't mean that you're the king of the roost. It doesn't mean that your wife is there to wait on you hand and foot. It means you are there to wait on her hand and foot. It means that you give your life. You do whatever it takes to keep her as healthy and happy and holy as it's possible for a woman to be this side of heaven. Give your life up. Give your life up. You remember Jesus, right? Remember his disciples? This is just before Jesus died. His disciples are quarreling. Remember the scene, James and John, their mom. Some of you, your heads are going up and down. It's, It's this crazy scene in the Gospels where James and John want to have places of high authority in the kingdom of God. And so their mother, mothers tend to do this sometimes, their mother approaches Jesus. And said so to Jesus, can, can James and John, one of them be on your right hand, the other on your left hand? You know, can, please you know, give them a little prestige, a little honor. And the, the, the other disciples hear about this, and they're mad. And so there's a major argument going on between the, the disciples. The 12 apostles are fighting over who's going to be first. And Jesus says to them in Matthew 20, He called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, unbelievers that means in that context, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. For many, here is the biblical definition of leadership servant sacrifice for the good of others. The opposite of domineering, the opposite of tyrannizing, the opposite of throwing your weight around, the opposite of bullying and abusing and mistreating, of pulling rank, of demanding obedience, servant leadership is serving through sacrifice. It's me getting up in the morning and thinking about the needs of my wife and saying, what must I do at whatever cost to serve her today? And gentlemen, the same for you. H, hold fast. U, unify. S, serve through sacrifice. B is beautify. Beautify. Notice, notice verses 26 and 27. Jesus gave himself up for the church. I love this verse 26 that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Friends, the language of this text is is amazing. It is stunning. Jesus gave himself for us to sanctify us. That means to set us apart from sin and the world for God. Jesus gave himself for us to cleanse us and to wash us. Oh, what wonderful, wonderful thoughts. He is washing, he's washing the shame and the, and the dirt and the, the grime and the stain and the filth of our sin off of us. It's being washed away. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. He's washing us. And it says, so that he might present us to himself a glorious bride. The image there is first century language of of a wedding. Jesus wants to to present us to himself. A bride, he says, in splendor, radiant, without spot, no immoral mark on us at all, without wrinkle. You ever put, you know, get your clothes out and start getting dressed and put it all on, and then look in the mirror and there's this wrinkle. There's no wrinkle. In the gown of the bride of Christ on that day. There's no stain, There's no dirt. There's no, there's no shame. There's no spot. There's no blot. It's there's, there's just all purity and all beauty and all splendor and all radiance. That's how Christ loves the church. That's our destiny. You look in the mirror right now. You don't see that, do you? You don't see that. But child of God, that's where it's going. The day is going to come. That day is going to come when we stand before God and we're going to be radiant. We're going to be so radiant, so full of splendor, so full of majesty that I think the angels are going to bow their head just a little bit because we're going to be higher than the angels as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. That's how Christ loves the church. And guys, if we are called to love and lead our wives as Jesus does his bride, then we are called to adorn and beautify the dear wife that He has entrusted to each of us. Since each of our wives, it's true of every wife in this place, husband, since each of our wives is already stunningly beautiful by virtue of the fact that she is made in the image of God and by virtue of the fact that the grace and love of Christ have already shined into her heart, Our job is made a whole lot easier. We don't have to make her beautiful. We just need to enhance her beauty. So by our words of love, by our respect of her dignity as an image bearer of God, by our care of her soul and body, by our gentle application of gospel truth and grace, by our affirmations of her virtue and her beauty, by our chivalry, by our courtesy, let us be instruments of grace that enhance the beauty. Of the wife that God has given to us, we are to beautify. H is what? Just see if you're paying attention here. Hold fast. U, unify. S, service. Serve through sacrifice. B, beautify. A, adore. Adore. Ephesians five and verse twenty-five. Husbands love your wives. There's an imperative. Gentlemen, love your wife. Love her. You say, but I don't. God says, you must. Love your wife. I was reminded this week of something I read probably 25 years ago now, as a counselor speaking with a couple in his office. And the counselor was charging the husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And the man responded, you don't know what you're asking. I, there's no way I can love my wife. I just can't do it. She's a terrible wife. The counselor paused for a moment and replied, well then, if you, if you cannot love her as your wife, Will you acknowledge that she is your neighbor? And he said, Well, I guess I must. We live in the same house. It's about as neighbor as you can get. <laughs> the counselor said, Well, do you remember that Jesus says we are to love our neighbor? So, will you obey the Lord and love your neighbor? which the man replied heatedly, but you don't understand, she is a witch, she's nagging, she's malicious, she's mean, she's bossy, she's angry, I cannot love her even as my neighbor. So the counselor paused and thought and then said, well, are you saying that she is your enemy? (laughs) Uh You see where it's going. (laughs) For Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Love your enemies and do good to them. Gentlemen, whether your wife is easy to love or a mere neighbor in the same house or a malicious woman, you are to love her. You cannot escape the imperative. You cannot escape the responsibility. Love your wives. But it's not just love in some general sense. Did you notice verses 28 and 29 when they were read earlier? No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So husbands, we are called to nourish and to cherish our wives. This is why I've chosen the word adore. There's something more in that than just Love. there is is a cherishing dimension to it. There is a a tenderness to it. The word is actually used elsewhere in Scripture of a nursing mom's tender affection for her little infant. And this is saying to us, just pause and think about this, that Jesus nourishes and cherishes the church. This is how Jesus loves us. You, you think you're abandoned. We think we're broken. We think we're unloved. We think we're desolate. We think nobody loves us. No, you need to know. We all need to know that Jesus cherishes us. I mean, it's not just tolerance. It's not just acceptance. It's not just that somehow or other he puts up with us. No, when he looks at us, there is love in his eyes. When he looks at us, there is tenderness in his heart. When he looks at us, he says, they're mine. They're mine. You're His. You're His. Men, we are called to such tender devotion and adoring affection of our wives. How tenderly, gentlemen, how tenderly loved does your wife feel? I know questions like this can lead to deep conviction and maybe even condemnation. Don't go to condemnation. Remember the cross. Jesus died for all our failures as husbands. But let it go to conviction. Let it go to conviction. How tenderly loved does your wife feel? How much affection does she sense from you? Do your eyes, your words, your gestures, your Touches make her feel adored. If so, by the grace of God, keep it up. And if not, by the grace of God, man up and love your wives. H hold fast. U unify. S serve through sacrifice. B beautify. A adore. And now in nourish. Nourish. Verse 29. No one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Gentlemen, you nourish your bodies. You feed your bodies. You take care of your bodies. Your wife is your body. Nourish her. Feed her, feed her, physically feed her, spiritually feed her, emotionally so that she, once you have, or as you are nourishing, she will be flourishing, as I heard somebody put it recently. So that as you are nourishing, she will be flourishing. say, well, how do I nourish her? Well, there's many parts to this, but the spiritual part of it is through the Word of God. Notice verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. We should nourish our wives with the Word of God. Like a man nourishes his own body, his role is to nourish his wife's body and spirit with the Word of God through affirmation, conversation, instruction. Every husband should be committed to nourishing his wife's faith and his wife's heart and her spirit to feed her potential so that she becomes all the woman of God that God intended her to be this doesn't mean guys you walk around the house preaching all the time this doesn't mean that you you know beat down your wife with declarations from on high that's not the word that's in view here we nourish our word our wives by leading them to pastures of truth we nourish our wives by making sure they have time for personal devotions and quiet time with God. We nourish our wives with the word by making sure that Sunday worship is a priority so that we can hear the word of God. I wonder, men, who is the leader in getting to church on Sunday? Who is the one actively nourishing through the ministry of the word and the fellowship of the church? It should be you, gentlemen. Nourish with the word. Nourish them with the word by reviewing sermons and Bible studies to make sure that your wife and your children are benefiting from the ministry of the word. Nourish them with the word by encouraging gospel rich music in your home. Nourish them by sharing what God is teaching you and and, and nourishing you with. Nourish them with the word by making sure the word of God guides and governs your home. Making sure you're the one giving spiritual direction to your home. When you look at your wife and you're saying, yeah, but she's so much better of a Christian than I am. She is so much more mature than I am. She even knows the Bible much more than I do. That doesn't mean you can't lead. You can still nourish with the Word. And you can still initiate in home and family times where you are sitting together and, and feeding on Christ. Feeding on the Word. Paul says to us, we are to nourish. Nourish our our wives with the Word of God. U is unify. S is serve through sacrifice. B is beautify. A is adore. N is nourish. And D is defend and deliver. Defend and deliver. In verse 23... The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body and is himself its Savior. Jesus is our Savior, our Defender and our Deliverer. He is our Rescuer. And this suggests that as he does this as the head of the church, there is a way in which we are to do that for our wives as head of our wife and of our home. Not the same way he did. You can never do that. You can't give your life as a ransom for her to, to rescue her from hell. You can't change your heart. You can't do what the Spirit of God has done in her. There, there is a world of salvation that belongs to God alone. But there are secondary roles that different people play in the working out of God's deliverance. And husbands, we are called to defend and deliver. We are to protect wife and family from whatever spiritual or physical harm may come their way. Throughout the Scriptures, men are clearly seen as those whose responsibility it is to defend and to deliver. And I don't want to offend any of the women here this morning by suggesting that women are incapable of defending and delivering. Now, there's a, there's a whole lot of women I wouldn't want to mess with if I was an intruder. <laughs> if I was an intruder in their home. I mean, it, Now, it's not that at all. What I'm saying is that while a wife and a mom can and often will defend and deliver, the man must. The man must. And and I will say this addressing, I was going to say a crisis in our times, but it's always been a crisis. This is why verbal and physical abuse of wife and children is such a great evil. A man is never so unmanly. As when he is attacking a woman or a child. We were made as men to defend and to deliver. And when instead of defending and delivering, we are attacking and assaulting and abusing, it is a great evil toward that woman and it's a radical denial of our manhood. We are wimps. We are weak. Gentlemen, if any part of that, verbally or physically, is a part of your life, be done with it. You're not a man when you're yelling at your wife. You're not a man when you're abusing your wife. You're not a man when you're mistreating your children. That's as unmanly as it gets. Oh. It's a despicable thing. It's had nothing to do with it, Gentlemen. Nothing to do with it. We are meant to defend and deliver. Defend and deliver. We are not meant to accuse or to blame how many men we out by blaming their wives for all the problems of their marriage. Enough already. Be a man, man up. Own responsibility. Take initiative, take the lead, defend and deliver. Defend and deliver. Shows up at every level, physically, guys walk between your wife and the oncoming traffic. Go first into the dark places, hold them fast when in fear, shelter and shield, get your fists ready when danger lurks. And if need be, when hell or hellions come near, Don't be afraid to use your fists. It's so much more than physical, it's spiritual. Our wives and our children are surrounded by spiritual perils and dangers and temptations every day of their lives. Be alert to it, be on guard for it, protect them, shield them. Perhaps above everything else, be a man of prayer. I'm taken by the image of the Old Testament of Those who stood in the gap. You know that phrase? There's a wall around the city and the wall has a gap in it. And the enemy is threatening to come in. But then there are men who stand in the gap. So as to protect those on the inside from those on the outside. We stand in the gap, gentlemen, when we are men of prayer. I think about my own life, this is is where I so often feel most the failure, most the man of weakness. Oh Lord, give me grace to pray more for my wife and for my children. To stand in the gap. To lift them up before God, there are so many times when I need to kick myself and I need to grab myself by the collar. You would think this would be instinctive and easy and joyful and wonderful to pray for my family, but I have to grab myself and say, Tim, pray. Pray for them. Ask Gayleen what her needs are, what her temptations are, what her tears are, what her trials are, what she's facing today or tomorrow, and Pray. Pray. Imagine many of you men feel the same way. You just feel weakling in prayer. but we need to defend. And we need to deliver. Hold fast. Unify. Serve through sacrifice. Beautify. Adore. Nourish. Defend and deliver. This is headship as defined by Jesus. This is all that he has been for us in the gospel. And now you understand, right, why I said at the beginning, this message will inform you ladies how to pray. Being the head of the home is, there's no cruise control for this. This is death to self every day. Please pray for us. Please pray that God will give us grace to manna. And this is why we all need the gospel. Because every one of us, man, woman, we fail and fail badly every day of our lives. But Jesus died for sinners like us. So let us look to him and trust him and be bold and confident in him. For he is restoring our families. Part of his redemption is not just delivering us from hell, but reconciling us to one another for his glory. So to his glory, let's hear his word. Amen.